2021 is off to a good start. I got to say, it's, it's beautiful to see uh, all of you here at church on a Saturday night. I, uh, I see some old faces that I haven't seen in a while. I see some new faces that I've never seen before. And uh, I just remember this song when I was a kid. It was like, it said, love is in the house when the house is packed. So much so, I left the back door crack. Daddy always said it's a matter of fact that when love is in the house, the house is packed. And I don't know, I don't know where that's from. I don't know where that's from, but it's a song that I remember listening to when I was young. And I was just, I was just worshiping uh, this, this evening up here and just seeing all these wonderful faces. And um, for those of you who haven't been to church in a while, I just got to say, I, this isn't in my notes or anything, but... Um, Man, I just feel God's heart over you tonight. He's not mad at you because you've been away for a while. He's just so happy you're here. <laughs> There's, you know, there could be this tendency for all the legalistic religious curmudgeons in the church to be like, well, it's just because it's the beginning of the year. And God's like, I don't care. They're here. <laughs> so... I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here tonight. And I could, the, the Father's heart is just rejoicing over you. And not, not that you've got to be in a church building to be a part of the church, but there's something about gathering with the saints. And a lot of times when we're feeling shame and when we're feeling broken, we run away from the church. And this is the safest place to be in the world. So I just, uh, I'm just grateful that you're with us tonight. So, um... Thank you, Jesus. I love it when the church comes hungry. It changes the atmosphere, right? Man. <clears throat> I could just feel the hunger of the church tonight as we were worshiping, and it totally, it totally makes a difference. It doesn't matter how well these guys do. They did a great job. But... <laughs> But some people think like, oh, you know, in order, for, in order for the Spirit of God to move, in order for us to experience His tangible presence in the place, it's just because the production team, you know, nails their spots and the, and the musicians do a good job. And that, that really isn't it. It's when, the, it's when the people of God come expecting something. It's when the people of God come prepared to meet with God. And so thank you for coming prepared to meet with God tonight. Because that makes all the difference in the world. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm honestly selfishly because I'm up in the front row getting wrecked by the Holy Spirit. But I also appreciate it from a communal standpoint because he's encountering everyone here tonight. So uh, on that note, um, we're going to be starting a, a new series tonight. It's called Supernormal. And uh, the, the, the heart behind that, that title is that we believe that the supernatural power of God, the miracles of God... The signs and wonders of God that we see throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old and New Testament, that they should be regular occurrences for today. Regular occurrences. That it's, it's good for us to be in awe of them. It's good for us to be in awe of God as, as he's doing these, these signs and these wonders and these miracles, but it should not be an oddity. It should not be something that only happens every once in a while. It should not just be whenever we have a super cool weekend at church or, what, or, or whatever the case might be. Whatever we attach the, the, the signs and wonders and the miracles of God to, special events. Here's, here's a secret. The sound is coming up, right? Are you guys familiar with the sound? 
This isn't an announcement. I, this is a secret. So the sound is always amazing. It's wonderful. We experience God. He speaks. We hear. It's just, it's a beautiful time. Here's the thing, though. You know, we, we schedule it for like the third weekend of January every year or third or fourth weekend, and, it, and, it, and it's a wonderful time. Um, but the difference is that during this time, you know, these three weeks, these, these 21 days, we actually come and we chase God. It's not like God has his calendar marked for the third weekend of January, and he goes, I think I'll go to Coeur d'Alene that weekend. No. It's more so that we have all our calendars marked, and we say, I think I'll show up in the house of God with some expectation and hunger that weekend. I think I'll, I think I'll begin the year. I think I'll begin the year as a New Year's resolution, actually believing God at his word and believing his promises. That's just a secret. That, again, that's, it's just supposed to be regular. The supernatural should be regular. All right, so we're going we're gonna to get in the word. We're going to make this thing legal. All right. <clears throat> so one of my favorite teachers says that. Anyways, um, we're going to be in Mark 16 tonight. Okay. This is the, this is the last chapter of Mark. Uh, Mark was written uh, by a really close associate of the apostle Peter. His name was either, he went by Mark and he went by John Mark. Um, the, the gospel of Mark, it's very likely that it's heavily influenced by the teachings of Peter as, as John Mark ministered and, and traveled with the Apostle Peter. It's the shortest, it's the most succinct uh, of the gospel accounts, and, it, and, and it's pretty likely that it was geared a little bit more toward Gentile believers just based on the writing style and based on the, the, uh, the points of emphasis, emphasis in this gospel account. Now, I just want to set the scene for a minute. In Mark 16, Jesus, he's already died, he's already resurrected, and he's just about to ascend to heaven, and he has some final word, some final words uh, for the apostles. And so we're going to read starting in verse 14, chapter 16 of Mark. You guys ready? Here, let's stand for the reading of the word. Yeah. Mark 16, 14. Here we go. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves. Now, it was 11 and not 12 because we remember Judas wasn't with them at this time. But it's all good because later, Matthias is appointed and we're back to 12, right? And now we got a lot more than 12. Anyway, we'll continue. The 11 themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. How many of y'all know that Jesus rebukes people? I'm so thankful for the rebuke of Jesus in my life. You know what rebuke does? It saves you. It saves you from shipwrecking your life. I just want to say, for those of you who have despised rebuke in the past, become acquainted Become friends with rebuke this year. Let that be your New Year's resolution. That the next time that you get a rebuke, you say, mmm, that's good. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay the hand, their hands on the sick and they will recover. Yeah. 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 Right. 
So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And catch this. And they went out, preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. You make it so easy. Oh, when you walk into the room, everything changes. Lord, we pray that your word would be open to us tonight. I just think about when Jesus, when your son met those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and their eyes were shut, and then all of a sudden, your son broke the bread and their eyes were opened. Open our eyes tonight. Break the bread. Let us see you for who you are and know your heart to perceive what you're doing here and now, even in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. You can be seated. You can be seated. So, um, you know, there's some people, you ever have people in your life where um, they just know how to talk a really big game? I don't, I, I don't know how to put it any nicer than that. They know how to talk a big game. You know, you know them for about 10 minutes. And they've already name-dropped every person they know of influence or of fame. And they've given you their whole resume. You know what I'm talking about? As, as if to impress you or make you feel that they are, are significant or that they bring something, to the, something you know, good to the table. And I remember when I was younger and people would do this and I would be so enamored by it. I would, be, I would be awestruck. I'd be, oh my goodness, they know this, this person and this person, and they've, they've done this and this, and they've accomplished this and this, and oh my goodness. And you know, I'd go, like, go tell my mom or my dad, have you heard about this person that I, I just met? And as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm not that old, but I'm, I'm getting older, um, I've become less and less impressed with that. Um, nowadays, it's more like someone brings to me their resume and, and all their name dropping, you know, as soon as they meet me, and I just, you know... Okay, you know, why don't you hang around for a while, and uh, we'll see how you conduct yourself, and uh, you see how I conduct myself, and we'll go from there. How about that? You know, but, but here's the thing. What I've become more and more impressed with is the doers. Those people who, you know them. You know the doers, Logan? Where... Oh, man, I just have these people in my mind right now where they show up and they're totally unassuming. It's not that they're falsely humble. It's not that they have to be shy. It's not that they have to be self-deprecating. It's not that they have to beat themselves up. It's none of that. It's just that they show up and they do. And they may talk, and that's cool, too. You know? That's great. But they show up and there's fruit. They do. And this phenomenon, and, and, and I just, and I have been, I, I've been watching this over time, and I have just fallen in love with the doers. Yeah, I just have. I mean, it's, it's this amazing thing. I watch them, and I'm, I'm always looking for the doers. I'm not so much listening for the talkers. I'm watching for the doers, and I go, ooh, that's one God's going to use. And, I, and, I know, and when I think about this phenomenon, I think of this passage from 1 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, the ministry of Jesus, before I go any further, I want to just recognize the ministry of Jesus had plenty of talking involved, right? The, the, The words that he spoke were of extreme, utmost importance. They were then and they are now. So much of what we know of the kingdom of God and of the gospel was because of what Jesus and his disciples either spoke or wrote, right? So I'm not trying to belittle words in this place when, I, when, when I'm talking about this. Do you guys feel me? What I'm concerned about, here, here's the thing. I don't, I don't think there's any, any solid biblical doctrine that would ever encourage believers to stop preaching and stop teaching and stop writing about the kingdom. That would be ludicrous, What I'm concerned about is that we have given so much prominence to preaching and teaching and writing over the last 1,900 years that we have convinced ourselves that that is what the kingdom of God consists of. Instead of holding the biblical model of the partnership of words of power and works of power, I'm afraid that often the works have been replaced by the words altogether. Now, I'm not talking about works of love and compassion and mercy. Those those are very important. But I'm talking specifically about something I've observed, and that is the omission of supernatural works. The omission of supernatural works. Believe it or not, there there, there, there is a popular notion in the Western church, and some of you may be from this tradition, I'm not here to hate on you. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to make you feel bad. But there's a popular notion that because we now have the canonized scriptures, the Bible, Old Testament and New, that we no longer need the supernatural miracles, the signs and wonders of God. Because we have this. There there is a very popular belief in the Western church of that, just so you know. The biggest problem with this humongous assumption is there ain't nothing about that in this book. So, in fact, the miraculous works that believers are to walk in is explicitly confirmed and commissioned by Jesus himself in this passage that we just read and several other passages in Scripture. Let us recall. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the, to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany, or follow, depending on your translation, those who believe. Will accompany those who believe. Will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, feel me. It doesn't say these signs will accompany Peter. It doesn't say these signs will accompany the 12. It doesn't say these signs will accompany the 72. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. Hopefully, hopefully I don't need to clarify that that's you and me. If you're a believer in this place tonight, that is you and me. Now, 
<clears throat> there are many miraculous signs and wonders that God is still doing today that he has been doing for a long time. He's been in the business of. It's what he does. He's the miracle worker. But I want to hone in on one for a few minutes. And the reason why I want to start here is that we see this particular, superna- this particular supernatural act in partnership with the preaching of the gospel so many times throughout the gospel accounts. Now, why is that important? Because the whole Western church is up on preaching the gospel. We all good with that? We're all up on it. We're like, yes. Which is good. I'm up, I'm up on it too. Preach the gospel. But here is the pattern that we see in the scriptures. Feel me. I'm going to list these off kind of fast, not a lot of context, because I believe God wants to see us, us to see a pattern tonight. We, we're good with that? If you want to know context, we can have a conversation later. I'd love, love to have coffee with you about miracles. Okay? <clears throat> Describing Jesus in Matthew 4, 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Okay? Okay. No, let's continue. Describing Jesus in Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. All right, we'll continue. A description of Jesus commissioning the 12 disciples in Luke 9. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons. Demons. Sorry, I, I combined demons and diseases. Demons. And to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. A description of what the 12 did directly after being commissioned in Mark, in Mark 6. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Hopefully you guys are picking this up by now. And finally, the words of Jesus commissioning the 72 in Luke 10. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Preach and heal, preach and heal, preach and heal, preach and heal, preach and heal and preach and heal and preach and heal. And all of a sudden, we're in 2021, and we got our master's degrees in theology, and we go, not so much heal, but mainly just preach. I mean, I know Jesus confirmed his own message. The very son of God confirmed his message. He, when he healed the paralytic, he said, your sons are forgiven, and the religious people were all offended. He goes, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Rise, get up and walk. So you're telling me that the Son of God, the King of the universe, he finds it necessary to use accompanying signs. And us 2021 Christians with our degrees and all of our thoughts on theology and doctrine think, no, we don't need miracles. I mean, Jesus seemed to think they were pretty necessary, but for us, I mean, we got the Bible, so... Do you know how ludicrous to think that because we have this written word, this logos, that we don't need miracles? When they had God in a bod living in the flesh, walking with them, and he decided that miracles were necessary? Come on. Let's just be reasonable. Let's just be reasonable. So interesting to me how comfortable we are, all of us, with the, you know, follow Jesus and do as Jesus did with his morals and his, his ethics, right? Like, yes, be kind and loving and, and generous, which is all good. But then we distance ourselves from the miraculous acts, even though what he said in John 14 is that not the 12, not Peter, James, and John, not the 72, but that those who believed in him would do the same acts that he did 
and greater ones. Someone, come on, y'all. We just need to read our Bible. You know, what would Jesus do? We're all about it. You know, we got our bracelets. What would Jesus do? And it's like, okay, be caring, be nice. Don't cut people off in traffic. But how about lay your hands on someone to see them healed? How about... How about cast out some demons that are oppressing people, that, that we're, we're sending them to every doctor in the world and every specialist in the world when they got a demon that needs to be cast out by a faith-filled believer? I mean, okay. I'm just saying, what would Jesus do isn't just about being nice. We point to loving our neighbor and loving God as the highest good, and which is great because it is. But who are you to say that loving your neighbor and the best form of loving your neighbor in a particular moment isn't for you to lay hands on them and say, be healed? Who are you to say? No, when Jesus said love your neighbor, he meant, you know, like uh, say nice things to them and don't discriminate against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, 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 if they're sick... If they're oppressed by a demon, if they need a word from God, uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that next week. But whew. Okay, recall at the end of Mark 16, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It is as clear as confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The gospel of Jesus is not only to be preached, it is to be accompanied and confirmed. By signs and wonders, it is a show and tell gospel. It is a show and tell gospel. All right. So we're, so we're going to get to some application, right? Because I'm just, right now, so far, I've just convinced you that all of you should be working miracles and whatnot, right? Are you convinced? All right. Here's the application. So I'm supposed to preach the gospel and believe that signs and wonders will accompany and confirm the message. But Seth, what if I preach and people don't believe? What if I lay hands on the sick and pray and they don't get healed? Well, first, let me say this. Unless I'm very wrong, there is not an elder, a pastor, or a leader in this place who every person they've preached the gospel to has believed or every person that they have laid hands on has received their healing on this side of the grave. So let's start there. Now, why is that the case? Well, honestly... The complete and perfect answer to that question, from my heart to yours, from our hearts to yours, is that the answer to that question is above my pay grade. <laughs> Feel me. Feel me, though. All right. I'm not just trying to joke. What I mean is that your job and my job is to preach the gospel, to pray and believe that he's going to work mir- God is going to work miracles in the midst of that. Now, and whether people receive the truth or the miracle is manifested is just beyond our job description. Yep. That's so good. Now, I want to recognize that when we pray and when we pray for people and we preach to people and they either don't receive Christ or they don't receive healing before they pass away, that it can be discouraging. It can be confusing. It can hurt. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to make light of that tonight. I recognize that's real. I have prayed for people and contended and contended and contended, and they passed away from the disease that they were dealing with. I have contended and contended and contended and not seen some of my dearest friends come to know Jesus. 
But I got to say, with all sensitivity and all respect, that that is not a good reason to stop preaching. And it's not a good reason to stop praying. And it's not a good reason to stop believing. You know, there's this notion that we often elevate our experience or what we have perceived in this world, we elevate it higher than this. We go, well, I know this says, but this is what I've faced. But I just want to challenge you. What if God is just going, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. We look to the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are unseen are eternal. Of course, God is the one who works the miracles. He's the miracle worker, but he often chooses to use us. And he gives us instruction on how we should be used. He's not leaving us in the cold. He's not leaving us in the dark. Now, there are some principles in the scriptures that seem to outline, this is what I'll leave you with today, seem to outline obstacles and keys to the miraculous. Obstacles and keys to the miraculous. And I do believe these, these principles apply specifically to healing because we kind of focus on healing for a little bit, right? But also generally to the signs and wonders of God as a whole. Now, I present these to you. Please tune in. I present these to you today as principles with a word of caution. Do not try to turn this into a formula or turn this into a rigid system because I don't believe that that's how God would lay these before us today. You know, there's, there's, there's a passage that I, I have to preach to myself all the time. It says, the letter kills, the spirit gives life. Don't look at these and treat them like the letter. Look at them and feel the spirit of, what, of these principles that I'm about to outline for you. The first obstacle to the miraculous is a lack of relationship. First obstacle to the miraculous is lack of relationship. In Acts 19... The sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, go around and attempt to cast out demons by using the name of Jesus and Paul. The problem here is they don't actually know Jesus. They're not in relationship with him, and so they do not carry his authority. The key to overcoming this obstacle is pretty simple. Believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior and step into a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with him. To walk in the authority of Jesus, we must first belong to Jesus. Okay? Pretty simple. Second obstacle to the miraculous is you could call it either lack of faith or unbelief. Matthew 13 and Mark 6 both tell of Jesus not, the term it uses is not being able. Now, I'm not, I don't want to have a debate with you tonight on what the scriptures say, but that's what it says that Jesus was not able to do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It's strange, it's hard to swallow, but it's what the word says in both those passages. Now the key to overcome this obstacle, as you might guess, is faith or increased faith. 
Now, what is faith defined? Hebrews 11 says, the, faith is the assurance of what we hope for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, over and over again, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Think about that statement. Your faith has made you well. He, you would expect Jesus to say, I'm the king of kings and I just made you well, which is true. But he made the point of saying to these people, your faith has made you well. And he spoke to his disciples and said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain and say, be removed. Now, you're saying, okay, Seth, I want more faith. Okay, I get it. Give me more faith, right? A, a, a lot of us are in that place where it's like, I get that I need more faith, but how do I get more faith? Well, first of all, ask God. Get hungry. Get hungry for faith. Get, Actually go to him earnestly and say, God, increase my faith. Sometimes we say, I don't have faith, but then we don't ask for it. There's this guy in the Bible, he goes, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Don't just stop and say, I, I have this little measure of faith right now, and I'm good with it. I don't really want to go any further. But God, why aren't you moving in my life? But I, I, I kind of like my little measure of faith right here. How about we add the second part of the prayer and say, Help me with my unbelief. We can, now, here's the next. Here, here's how else we can build faith. We step out according to the measure of faith that we already have. We see God be faithful in that, and our faith grows. Now, here's the, a lot of times when that happens is in the midst of trial and pain and difficulty. And we can dedicate ourselves to the hearing and the meditating on the word of God. Romans 10 says, faith comes from hearing. and hearing through the word of Christ. And I do want to make a slight caveat tonight when we talk about faith because some, the faith, the word faith has at times been abused in the church. And so I want to say tonight that there's a difference between faith and presumption. If we're to have faith that God is calling us to, it must be for Faith for him to do what he says that he will do. We can't just name and claim any desire that pops into our heads. Feel me? We have faith according to his promises and his will, not our selfish ambition. You know, there's this passage that says, you have not because you ask not. And then people like to stop right there. He goes, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. For your own selfishness. Think about it. Before you go naming and claiming, grab on to the heart of God. Now, the third obstacle to the miraculous is tied to the second. I would describe it as a lack of preparation. Matthew 17 describes a situation where Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus' disciples are unable to cast out a demon. And they go, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? First, he rebukes him. He says, you have little faith. And then he says... This kind can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. Two keys to overcoming a lack of spiritual preparation, it would appear, are prayer and fasting. And how fortunate. I mean, what a coincidence, right? That we find ourselves on the weekend of the launch of 21 Days in Prayer and Fasting. And some of you are sitting there and you're like, why well, might pray but fasting? You know what fasting does? It challenges the flesh. 
it wages war on our selfish, prideful tendencies inside of us. You know, I'm convinced that no one has ever needed to fast like postmodern Americans. Just feel me. And I'm not just saying American. I mean postmodern Western world. Postmodern affluent society. You know why? Because many cultures are in a state of desperation by default. And sometimes we need to place ourselves in a place of desperation. We get so used to our conveniences and our microwaves and our Netflix and our everything that's delivered right now that we forget what desperation feels like. You want to get desperate? Skip meals for a day. You want to know that you are not God? Skip meals for a day. I'm just saying. All right. The fourth and final obstacle, the miraculous, that I see is a difference in gifting. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul specifically mentions that God apportions the spiritual gifts. And and I really want to unpack this more, can't. Um, Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this week and look in those spiritual gifts. Craig's going to talk more about some of them next week. It's going to be lit. It's going to be so good. Um, But anyway, he says he apportions spiritual gifts as he wills. And then he asks some rhetorical questions at the end that help the reader understand that not everyone is gifted in the same way with the same gifts. He asks questions and doesn't answer in them, but if you know the original language, he is answering those questions with the answer, no. Now, the key to overcoming this obstacle is twofold because you could go, you could be really discouraged by what I just said and be like, well, I'm just not gifted. No, you are gifted. Feel me, you're gifted. But hear this, on one hand, just because you aren't primarily gifted in one area doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue it. Notice that he says, God who empowers them all in everyone. We believe that believers, all believers, have access to tap into each of the spiritual gifts, but we have different portions. He apportions to each according to how he wills. We feel that? So on one hand, still pursue gifts that you don't have a lot of portion in. If you only got one lima bean in your jar of miracles, pursue it. But if you got 50 lima beans of word of knowledge, lay the word down. And this is what I mean. That the, other part, uh, the other part of the key here is that we discover who we are and what body part we are so that we can operate in the fullness. Some of us are walking around so depressed that we don't have the gift of prophecy when we're overflowing with the gift of leadership and we're not stepping out in it because we're searching for gifts that aren't ours. One of my favorite teachers, he says this, if you actually knew who you were, you would never want to be anyone else ever again. If you actually knew, if you actually knew the full extent of your gift in the area of gifting that you have been most gifted in your primary gifting in the jar where the lima beans are overflowing, you would never be envious of someone's gift again. Relationship, faith, preparation, discovery of gifting. Four keys to a supernatural life. Will you stand with me?